salvation of the living. This is the work of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Well, just before Nell speaks, I wondered, um, Nell, I, I've said that you uh, were here in this church from the age of 5 to 14, so you went through children's groups and youth groups. What, what has happened since then, in well, a nutshell? <laughs> okay, um, so I left here when I was 14. Um, I moved to do GCSEs in Bristol and then moved to do A-levels in London. When both your parents are vicars, um, you end up moving around a lot, turns out. Um, so I did that and then I went off to Durham and studied theology up there. And now I work at a place called the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And tell us what that, what that outfit does. Yeah, so we were founded by John Stott about 37 years ago. And um, we um, help Christians think through what it looks like to be a Christian in daily life. So not just on a Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, wherever you find yourself, wherever you are. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? And you've had a particular focus there. What's been your focus in um, the work you've done? Yeah, so I'm writer for them. So I do their weekly emails, which is a 400-word Bible reflection and a 400-word cultural reflection. I oversee those. And then I'm also doing all their work with students and young professionals. Amazing. And in a short while, you're going to transition jobs. So you're moving away from LICC. Where are you going and what excites you about that? Um, So I'm going to work at a place called the International Justice Mission, uh, which is the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. And my role there is going to be church engagement lead for England. And I'm excited about it because it combines my three favourite things, which is theology, communication and justice. Wow. Fantastic. Who'd have thought at the age of five when Nella arrived here that this is where we'd be now? Literally no one. Amazing. But isn't that exciting? For those of you that help out with children and youth work, it's such a gift. And we see those children and young people grow and uh, we pray they will hold on to faith and and step out in in the kind of way that you have, Nell. So exciting that you're here. Um, Do you want to take the pulpit, make the steps? And uh, let's turn to God's word again as Nell leads us. Thanks, Dan. Before we begin, I think we should probably pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, you are good. You are kind and you are faithful. Teach us more of your character today. Give us eyes to see you at work and ears to hear your words spoken to us. Thank you for who you are. Amen. When Dan invited me to come preach um, back here, he did something which I think all preachers both love and hate in equal measure. He gave me free reign to choose what to preach on. Sandwiched between a vision series and a series on Nehemiah, the Bible was, quite frankly, my playground. So I chose to preach on lament. And I do promise that I'm actually really fun at parties. Um, But I chose lament because I think it's something that we don't preach on enough in the church. And I particularly chose to preach on lament here because I remember aged 14 sat on, being sat on that wall right outside, crying my eyes out and thinking that my pain and my tears were not allowed in here. Thinking that God couldn't cope with my grief, my anger and my hurt. And it was only five years later when I discovered this book of Lamentations that I realised that God could not only cope with my grief, 
but that he explicitly asks me to bring it to him. In his word, God makes space for our grief. He gives us words to express our hurt and he asks us to bring it to him. So I'm preaching on lamentations today because I'm on a one woman mission to make sure that no Christian leaves their pain at the door of the church. So here's your permission, at least for today, to grieve in this space. To give voice and words to your hurt, to weep, to pour out your heart like water in the presence of Almighty God, for he is here. And he longs to meet you in your deepest pain. To spend time in lamentations is to spend time wrestling with God about the depths of human depravity and the utter brokenness of the world in which we live. To read this book is to acquaint yourself with grief. It gives words to a pain that may at times feel unspeakable. But perhaps you are already well acquainted with grief. Perhaps it has stalked your life for years. Or maybe it is a new companion, an unwelcome visitor, an unexpected disruption to your world. Perhaps at the end of this week, Baby Loss Awareness Week, your grief feels particularly acute today. And so I want to acknowledge there are many in this room for whom reading this book is like reading your own thoughts, like taking an inventory of your own emotions, like reading your journal. That's okay. There is space for you here. Or perhaps you are not personally acquainted with grief, but you know as well as I do that we don't need to look far to see it. We cannot switch on the news without being confronted by war, climate change, famine, disaster, by evil acts of other humans. And it's not just out there. We just need to think back over this past week to see how we have caused pain and hurt to ourselves or others by our actions. We live in a broken world, marred by sin. We cannot ignore it. And the Bible makes clear that we should not ignore it. We must engage on an emotional level with the hurt and brokenness we see around us. The hurt and brokenness that so often forces its way into our own lives as well. Through illness, bereavement, relationship breakdown, hopes shattered, dreams denied. Lamentations invites us to acknowledge the brokenness of the world, of our world, to hold space for it. And then it gives us words with which to cry out to the Lord. But a text without a context invites us to put our own reading on the word of God rather than letting it speak for itself. So let's set this book in its context. Lamentations is a five-chapter book that sits between two much longer books, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's made up of five poems, four of which are acrostic and the fifth is formless. And it forms what is called a chiastic structure, so A, B, C, C, B, A. This means that rather than the book reaching its climax at the end, as most literature today does, it instead peaks in the middle, in chapter 3. Remember that. Jerusalem has been besieged by the Babylonians. The city has been defeated and the temple has been destroyed. It is generally assumed that Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, the one who spent his entire life warning the Israelites through words and actions that their rebellion against God's laws will lead them to disaster. And that disaster has now come. This is the 6th century BC and most people have been carried off into exile. 
whilst others are left in the ruins of the city that they loved. Verse 11 says, My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. The interesting and potentially theologically tricky thing about Lamentations is that throughout, the writer says that God has caused this suffering. Perhaps you noticed it in verse 17. The Lord has done what he has planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The judgment of God has come upon Jerusalem because the leaders disregarded justice and sinned against God, ignoring countless warnings and continuing to disobey his laws. The prophets of the exile, Zephaniah, Ezekiel and Jeremiah himself, echoed the words of Moses back in Deuteronomy 28 and elsewhere, which say that the Lord himself would be active in bringing about the covenant curses if people were to disobey him. That is the suffering that we see portrayed in Lamentations. Now, to talk about suffering as a punishment from God is to venture into very difficult territory. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. Not all suffering is a punishment from God. Suffering is a multifaceted issue in the Bible with different parts of scripture addressing it from many different perspectives. So although Lamentations may be clear that the particular suffering it describes does come about as a direct result of God's doing, we must always be careful not to go beyond the Bible in deciding what counts as God's punishment and what does not. That is not our job. Please do not hear from me today that suffering, and particularly your own suffering, is God's doing or God's punishment. If you have been told that in the past, They were wrong, and I'm sorry. That is not the message of Lamentations. The suffering depicted in this book is a direct result of Jerusalem's disobedience, but that does not mean God is far off. Think of it like this. What do you do when someone you love ignores your warnings and ends up getting hurt? Your child, perhaps, as they are wont to do. Warned against touching the hot oven burns their hand and comes to you in tears. Mummy, daddy, it hurts. What do you do? Do you say, I told you so and send them on their way? I hope not. You sit with them. You hold them. You empathise with their pain and you seek to find a solution. And if you can't, well, you stay with them. You pray with them. In chapter two, the author of Lamentations sits with Jerusalem in her pain. Not as a detached observer, but as an active participant in her grief. His eyes fail from weeping. He knows he is unable to offer any comfort, but he is not, for now, assigning blame. Perhaps it was Jerusalem's fault. They continued to ignore the warnings. They touched the hot oven when they had been told not to. But the author of Lamentations does not speak of that in chapter 2. He sits alongside their pain, their suffering, and dwells with them. He calls them to prayer. Arise, cry out in the night. How often do we sit with the wounded and let them voice their pain? Offering no suggestions, no solutions, no blame, just sitting with them, 
journeying alongside them, allowing them to state the truth of their deepest hurt. Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Not trying to fix, not trying to cover over with platitudes, but just being, holding space for them, encouraging them to pray. I know that many of you here do this regularly. I know that many of you did this for my family and you still do it for the families of those that I love daily. To sit with those in pain, those who mourn, those who are broken and to accompany them as they bring their pain to God in prayer is a profoundly difficult calling. But it is the call of Lamentations too. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Maybe as you hear this passage read today, it feels less like a call to sit with others and more like a call to just sit with your own pain. To bring our own pain to God, to cry out to him, to sit with our own brokenness, not wanting solutions or answers is a brave course of action. It is painful. Of course it is. Suffering is by its very nature painful. Lamentations invites us to sit with our pain and bring it to God giving us the words and the space to do so. Whether our pain is the natural consequence of our own actions, the result of someone else's bad choices, or just the reality of living in a broken world, the message of Lamentations is that there are deep questions about pain and suffering to which there are no simple answers. The message of Lamentations is that sometimes hope feels far off. Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The message of Lamentations is that suffering is a reality of living in a broken world and that sometimes we just have to sit with that. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. The message of Lamentations is that pain is not easily answered and it does not always come to a neat conclusion. The book itself ends with a question in chapter 5. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. End. Sometimes pain and grief does not have a neat conclusion and we are left wondering. But a surprising part of the message of Lamentations is this. Even in our pain, God is close at hand and he is faithful. Why do I say this? Well, chapter three. This is the part of Lamentations that everyone knows. Verses 19 to 23, and then I'm going to read a little bit from 31 to 33. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 31, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. 
for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. We see in Lamentations 2 that the suffering of the people is close to unbearable. They have reached the end of themselves. God's justice has broken them almost beyond repair. And yet. And yet, this extract from chapter 3 brings us a seemingly contradictory revelation. If hardship is a part of God's justice, then hope is possible. For if God is consistent with his justice... If he is consistent on following through with the covenant curses, he will be consistent in his promise of covenant rescue. There is a glimpse of hope. You see, the Lord's consistency of character, his faithfulness to his word, shown most recently in the very painful outworkings of his justice, mean that the poet can still have faith in his kindness and his mercy and his faithfulness. Deuteronomy 30 sets out some of this reality just after they've talked about the covenant curses. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. He will again delight in you just as he delighted in your ancestors. God has been faithful to his promises before and he will continue to be so. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion So great is his unfailing love. The surprising salvation of the Lord dawns. And so it is here, in the depths of lamentation's despair, that we can pause for a moment, draw breath, and hope. Remember that chiastic structure? This is the middle of the middle. This is the pinnacle of the book. This is where the most important message dwells, and this is where hope is found. This does not write off our pain. It does not mean that we must ignore the deep grief that wells within us. Chapter 3 goes on to say, Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. Acknowledge your pain. Sit with your face in the metaphorical or the literal dust. We are called to pour out our hearts like water in the presence of the Lord. Not the slow drip, drip, drip of a tap. Not the clean and sanitized single teardrop. God is asking us to stand in his presence and ugly cry. Deep, heart-wrenching sobs. The ones that come from a place within you that you didn't even know existed and yet somehow still manages to hurt. But even as we do that, we are not to despair. To lament is by its very nature to say, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. And to grieve that broken reality. But in the very process of doing that, we are acknowledging that there is a way things should be. And so the verse goes on. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. There may yet be hope. And we know that there is, even in our grief, our brokenness, our deep, deep sadness, there is hope. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. Lamentations 3 brings us surprising salvation in the depths of despair. The gospel brings us an even more surprising dose of salvation. 
In Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 5, he writes, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The hope that we have caught a glimpse of at the midpoint of Lamentations has dawned in all its fullness. Lamentations makes clear that we must sit with our grief. That God is not afraid of it, nor is he angry with us for expressing it. God asks us to draw close to God. Lamentations asks us to draw close to God in our pain. And the gospel reminds us that this God is the God who demonstrated fierce love for us, who is consistent in his character, in his justice, in his goodness, in his kindness, and in his faithfulness. Our God and his gospel reminds us that even when hope feels incomprehensible, even when it seems that we are living in the depths of lamentation's despair, even when the darkness overwhelms and judgment feels close at hand, all is not lost. There may yet be hope. The despair of lamentations is not to be viewed lightly. As we sit in and acknowledge the deep pain and desolation of lamentations and perhaps the deep pain and desolation of our own lives and the lives of those we love, we are able to see more clearly, to hope more fervently for the glory of redemption that Christ brings. This is a redemption which does not overlook justice, which never denies the desolation, never offers meaningless platitudes or sweeps pain under the carpet, but instead holds space for it, shines a light in the darkness and brings hope and life where once it felt impossible. The greater the despair, the more glorious the redemption. There may yet be hope. Amen. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Father, we thank you that we can come uh, in darkness and with suffering and with tears. We thank you that's not a surprise to you. We thank you that you hear those cries of our hearts. We thank you that they reflect that reality that things are not yet right. And we thank you that Christ himself suffered 
and wept and bled and died. We thank you that he did that because it reflects something of your faithfulness and goodness and justice and love. So Holy Spirit, wherever we are today, in pain, suffering, whether we're crying out for others, thank you that you are close. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are faithful.